0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. I don't know where Stuart Stevens finds the time. He's a founding partner of Strategic Partners and Media, the political consulting firm. He's a Daily Beast contributor. He was the lead political strategist, of course, for the 2012 Republican presidential nominee, Mitt Romney. And he just released his seventh book. This one's a novel titled The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear. It's an excellent read whose narrative is also weirdly close to the plot lines of our current presidential campaign. Speaking of the presidential campaign, no surprise, that's what we spent most of our time talking about. If you've spent any time yourself on Stewart's Twitter feed or read his columns, is there anyone more active, more persistent and consistent in arguing against Donald Trump than Stewart Stevens? The conversation also hit on a wide range of ideas. It was really interesting, very funny at times, which you're always going to get with Stevens, and frankly, really serious. This guy is worried. He's worried about the Republican Party and about the level of civil discourse in our country. He's worried about what's next. And don't misunderstand, he's hopeful and confident. He has no doubts, not one, about America or Americans, He cannot believe, though, what is happening in the campaign or in the Republican Party. He was incredibly thoughtful, too, about what makes governing important. This guy has dedicated so much of his life to helping public servants serve. He believes in the cause. So this conversation with a political strategist covered political strategy, of course. But as you'll hear, Stevens also gives a pretty good civics lesson. And he writes a great new book as well. But before we get to the conversation, some questions. Who will win the White House? What can we expect now that we've come out of the political conventions and going into the debates? What about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, Few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, A newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash politicalwire. That's cookpolitical.com slash politicalwire. And now, here's my conversation with Stuart Stevens. The Never Trump movement. Were you first in, Stuart? No, I really
1: don't even know what the Never Trump movement is except a hashtag. Um,
0: well, it's it's anyone and but and him. It, it's, it's not that and guy. And
1: that, I mean, and that it's I mean, it, I suppose that there's an assumption, uh, unlike the State Department or the United States government, there wasn't an assumption that something uh, could be replaced with a hashtag. You know, we've seen that foreign policy by hashtag half the time. Um, I think it was just, you know, there's a lot of people – that won't support Trump. Who are Republicans? And somebody came up with a hashtag. I, you, you know, when I run into people, they seem to think it's like some organized effort. Um, and, and if it is organized, I'm not part of the organization. It could be like high school when you're just not part of the cool crowd. But um,
0: uh, there, there were a lot of I clubs, a lot of clubs that I wasn't I think, a part of. I think,
1: yeah, I think it's just a. Um, Way to bring attention to the fact that a lot of people don 't uh, weren't supporting trump and don't intend to support trump
0: so so on that point so so hold aside the the hashtag and and the secret club and 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 all of that just that that sense the building sense beyond just the, you know a normal you know primary campaign where you know anyone right. has their person, and so you've you 've got your person so you 're against the other people because you've got you know you 've got your person obviously you know the movement that that, that the sentiment let 's call it as opposed to a movement that built against trump right. um, is a lot more than that and um you know from my view you know were you you know do you view yourself as having been One of the first in. I mean, was there something? Were you one of the first in? Do you feel? And and I mean, was there something that you saw that where you knew, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, you know, in my heart, in 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 my gut, this just isn't right.
1: I mean, I, I think Trump could have emerged as a serious human being who tried to obtain knowledge for a new endeavor that is the most serious endeavor. That a human being can partake in, which is running for president. Um, he quickly showed that he didn't intend to do that. Um, and his character flaws uh, were immediate from the very beginning. This inability has not to let any slight go, uh, unanswered. Um, and just his total ignorance. I mean, this is someone who doesn't know what the nuclear triad is, which is taught in the 10th grade. Um, so I, you know, I can't say I began this uh, you know, with any hard feelings about Trump or negative feelings about Trump. Um, but he, I think he quickly proved that he was uniquely unsuited and unqualified to be president in a way that is different than someone, as you point out, you would normally not support. I mean, I was never a Ted Cruz guy, but uh, – Say what you will about Ted Cruz. He's very smart. He has an ability to uh, uh, process and make rational decisions, and he respects the rule of law. And he he also just has qualities, you know, of normalcy, um, of, of moments of graciousness, moments of being able to admit that he's wrong. Um, I think. Ted Cruz grew a lot as a candidate, which is a, is a normal process. Most candidates grow. I mean, If you look at 2008, by the end of the Republican primary, um, Fred Thompson was a good debater. Um, and he started out being not very good debater. That's a common trait. Uh, Trump has not grown. He, he, he's still Trump. Um, and, and that figure is just someone who should not be president of the United States.
0: Did you know Trump previously? Did you interact with well, you, him at all? in you yeah, know, you know, know you I dealt him? with
1: him some in, yeah, in 2012. Uh, you know, people forget because, uh, or, or weren't aware because they have lives. Um, <laughs> <of course I'm, laughs> Unlike they're, you? I'm very jealous <laughs> of that. Um, but in 2011 at Christmas, Trump was supposed to moderate a debate that was going to be sponsored by Newsmax. Um, And this was actually a big deal at the time. And... It literally, I think, was two or th- two days, maybe three days after Christmas. And, you know, Governor Romney was like, you know, are you kidding me? We debate every few minutes, which we were in those days. And we had like 19 primary debates. Uh, it's three days after Christmas, and it's Donald Trump. There's no way I'm doing this. So, uh, you know, it fell upon us to kill that, and I dealt with that a lot. And, um, you know, Trump, his big thing was this will get great numbers, because it's me. Or the, and, you know, he started explaining was, like, we don't have a name ID problem. We don't need all kinds of exposure. I mean, at a certain point, movie stars hire press people to keep them out of the press, or to get better press, not just any press. Um, and then, you know, we finally sort of realized we weren't going to do it. It was, well, this will mean Newsmax will attack, uh, uh, Mitt Romney and endorsed Newt Gingrich. I mean, not threateningly, just kind of matter of fact. So it's like, no, that makes sense. That's fine. Everybody's got to do what they're going to do. We're not doing the debate. Um, and then he, he did withdraw from moderating it when he saw that Romney wasn't going to do it because it wouldn't be like a big debate. Um, but he didn't go crazy or start attacking Romney then. I, I thought he handled it well. Um, the same way, you know, he endorsed Romney, which we saw perhaps – Maybe naively so is, you know, a, a, a guy who's a businessman in Nevada. Uh, it was a few days before the Nevada primary. Um, he actually did well when you looked at these surveys of places that you know people like to work. Um, they liked working for Trump. It was fine. He's going to endorse us. Okay. I mean, we did five or six of these a day, you know, for months. Um, but then it was, you know. It, 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 he let it be known that uh, he had cleared his schedule to be able to go on the plane with Romney, and it was like, well, no, thank you very much, but that's not going to happen. Um, and did, then he wanted to speak at the convention, and it was, no, that's not going to happen. Did but, you, you know, have those? Did, well. did you
0: have those conversations I with him? I mean, lit- literally, done. you you spoke with him.
1: So I, I, sometimes sometimes i mean you know it's a series of conversations as you can imagine you know he's not one to let things go <laughs> but, but i have to say it was very um normal really i mean he, 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 it was oh, okay it, it was nothing no, no alarm bells went off then and he, and he never when he Learned that he wasn't going to speak at the convention, he didn't go attack Mitt Romney publicly. Or, I mean, I, I thought he was—he was—it was fine. Um, a lot of people want to speak. I mean, that's a conversation you have. Anybody involved in scheduling speakers for a convention, I really—my partner Rashriya ran this, I didn't. But I mean, everybody wants to speak at a convention normally, and you know, you have those conversations a lot. And I, most people don't take it personally. I didn't get any sense that he was taking it personally. Um, Though later it seems to have sort of uh, bothered him a lot But I I would say he handled it very well Um, So, um, you know, I I, I think that Trump has changed I mean, if you look at Trump going back um, he, He was very much an accepted member of the media Uh, social scene in new york and he was not someone you could not be seen with um and he was you know eccentric kind of nutty you know but like a guy calling imus but he, he never seemed as extreme and uh wacky as he seems now it could just be the context when a guy's calling imus and running around you know dating models, maybe you, you don't expect the same level of seriousness you do when they run for president. I mean you don't. But um I also would offer that I think Trump has 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 changed. Uh, probably most of us, you know, the older we get the more like ourselves we become. Yeah. And there's good yeah. things about that and bad things about that. Um but um this erratic behavior uh It wasn't publicly seen, though if you, if you, you know, talk to Tony Schwartz or listen to Tony Schwartz who wrote his book, he says it was all there when he saw, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah,
0: yeah, the art of
1: the deal. Yeah, he wrote the art of the deal. I just never interacted with him enough. Or others probably didn't. The way Tony had a sort of unique window to do this.
0: Well, and so for for those of us who you know read your your Twitter feed or you know read your columns, and and we'll talk about. I your, apologize. Your book. <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing to apologize for there. But we'll we'll talk about the book as well. You know, nothing to apologize there either um uh your new book which is a novel and is your seventh book and uh you know uh, I'm not sure where you have the time to do all this stuff but um, maybe that should be your eighth book how i have the time to do all this how how i how i create <laughs> the time to do all this stuff um cuz that one you know that that's one that a lot of us would would like to know about but, but you know you read your twitter feed and and you know your articles and i mean you have been consistent you have been persistent i mean you you are you, your twitter feed is is kind of always on and and you know some of the stuff um you know is is you know some of it you, you know doesn't is solid and is there some of it is a little sarcastic you know you can't you, you can take the kid out of Mississippi I guess but you know you're not going to take the Mississippi out of the kid and I found myself kind of thinking is is Stewart Fight you don't so much feel to me you feel to me like you're fighting against something on a certain level but i also kind of feel like uh, are you fighting for something i I mean i feel like i
1: think listen i I very much uh, i i hope i am i mean I, i think running for president is a very serious endeavor and i think one of the key mistakes that the candidates that ran against trump made was not going at his core at his core donald trump is a ridiculous candidate for president and no one turned to him and said, Donald, you may have done these things. You inherited a lot of money. Uh, actually, if you put your money in the stock market, you'd be a lot wealthier. But fine, you know, you helped out some stuff in New York. That's great. But you're a ridiculous candidate for president. You don't have any idea. If someone had said to Donald Trump, you support the Bill of Rights, right? He would, Yeah, I love the Bill of Rights. How many amendments are there? He couldn't have told you. If somebody had just said, how does a bill become law? He couldn't have told you. I mean, he is uniquely... Uh, ignorant about the process of uh, basic civics. And he, he also has no respect for it. Now, you know, in the course of this, it's brought me back to looking at a lot of George Wallace stuff and reading a lot of George Wallace stuff, because I think the parallels between George Wallace and Donald Trump are, are quite similar. I mean, others have, have noted this as well. But say what you will about, uh, about George Wallace. He came from a, a governing class, where it was considered a good thing to be a county clerk, to be a judge, to be a justice of the peace, to be a state legislator, or ultimately to run for governor. Um, in part, that was a way that, that certain people could help themselves you know rise in economic social strata. But also it was considered that this is an endeavor that is worthy. And I have a lot of respect and increasing respect for those who respect governing. Because ultimately, governing is really, really important, particularly when it's the most important country in the world. And it's Trump's utter dismissal of this uh, that I find so offensive. Um, and it's, it's sort of embodied by his campaign, which isn't really a campaign. I mean, his it's campaign is sort of a concert tour. Um, And, you know, he's an odd guy, he draws all these odd sort of broken toys uh, into his sphere. Um, And when you run for president, you should take it seriously, and he doesn't. And I find that deeply offensive and, and troubling for what it says about our democracy.
0: Are you worried about the Republican Party? you worried about what uh, I, I, has happened uh, what what will happen going next and we can get into some of the issue i mean the you know the the immigration the, you know trade issues um that i, I type think of thing.
1: trump is I, I think trump is like a neutron bomb that's going off in the republican party he may leave the structure but i'm not sure how many what's what's going to be left um, I, I think it's an utter stark raving disaster um, look before 1964 Republican presidential candidates could get 30 to 35 percent of the African-American vote pretty regularly. Now, that's not great, but if you're 35, maybe you'll get to 40, 40, maybe you could see 45. I mean, you have something to build on. After 64, it fell off a cliff. I just saw a poll from a major battleground state, Donald Trump, with a lot of African-Americans. Donald Trump had zero support. Zero. I mean, none of us have ever seen this before. I mean, like, really, zero um so if he does that for hispanics in, in in this election and there's every indication that's happening um I, if that's the case then we won't elect another republican for generations you just can't get there i mean one of the things that trump is doing is has been these nutty theories about the republican party uh, and how to get elected president. That just sort of this whole myth that it's really easy to get elected, like 2012 was an easy election. Look, I- I've done five of these, you know, and people forget 1988 was the last time Republicans could celebrate winning the presidency on election night. I mean, in 2000, it took us 31 days. Yep. And then in, in, in 2004, we didn't know to the next day because of Ohio. Yep. And it is extraordinarily difficult with the way the parties are construed to an elect a Republican president it's just a fact now you know uh, you look at ronald reagan 1980 he got 56 percent of the white vote and won a sweeping landslide of 44 states mitt romney got 59 percent of the white vote and lost and a higher percentage of whites vote in 2012 than 1980 that's really all you need to know now can you get higher than 59 percent mm-hmm right now Trump's getting thirteen percent and he's winning by thirteen percent um, and when I talk to you know Democratic friends, they say that they think they have a chance to win the majority of the white vote for the first time. so Trump's headed you know who was the whole premise of this campaign was this lost missing white voters, which don't exist, but they were going to test that theory well. What they're doing by trying to get these lost, missing white voters—they're losing the really white voters that actually do exist, who have been Republicans. And you know, part of the other this nutty theory is, you know, this kind of Laura Ingram and culture. You know, if we just yell at Sean Hannity, if we just yell at the media more, that'll win the media battle. Well, How's that working out? Or if you just go out and rip the bark off of, you know, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. You know, America will come rising up with, you know, uh, and storm the Bastille. No. I mean, su- su- successful Senate candidates in battleground states don't do this, and they win. The two most pop- popular governors in America are Larry Hogan, who's a client of ours, and Charlie Baker, who we worked for. I mean, those are models of success. And so they're going to test these theories. And we're seeing what happens. Um, it, it's, it's going to be an utter uh, disaster on election They're running against an opponent, certainly. Hillary Clinton is a lot weaker opponent than an incumbent president of the United States. Um, she had a primary. Barack Obama didn't have a primary. He had a tremendous financial advantage because of that. He's the first incumbent president since Nixon not to be in the federal funding system. Only one incumbent president, not in the federal funding system, has lost in the last 150 years, and that was Hoover, who had sort of a bad year. <laughs> this should be a much easier race to win than
0: 2012.
1: Instead, Donald Trump is, you know, Todd in Georgia.
0: Yeah. Is, is there any way – I mean going down the road of what you're talking about on, on the, the- – Hillary Clinton side. And I'm sure as a political strategist, you look at, you know, a lot of what's going on and thinking, my goodness, if, you know, uh, I would love to be uh, working with a candidate, um, you know, who could who could run in this type of situation. But I mean, with, with the emails with the Clinton Foundation State Department connections with the Goldman Sachs speeches with the questions around the trustworthiness, uh, whole, you know, there can be a whole debate, there is a whole debate around the the substance of these issues taking away th- that portion of the discussion you know the fact is those things are out there and and they resonate pretty darn poorly it seems and and there are questions around trust trustworthiness um I- I- even with trump's extremism is there is there you know putting your political strategist hat on um is there a way in which she's vulnerable i mean you know he, he's you, he's you t-
1: vulnerable Is vulnerable. I mean, I think it's the reason she's not at 55 now. But, you know, the one number to focus on is is Donald Trump's favorables, or both candidates' favorables. So let's start with Donald Trump. You know, he can't blow himself above 35% favorable. So every every candidate in politics can overperform your favorables by a certain percentage. But it's limited. Because if you just think about it, how rare is it going to be? to have an unfavorable impression of somebody in vote for him. That's hard. Yeah, I mean, that just doesn't happen a lot. Um, so he's at 35. That gives him a ceiling. As long as Donald Trump is at 35, he's not a viable candidate for president. And they go, well, Hillary Clinton has terrible favorables. Well, she does. But she's building her favorables upward. Um, and now, you know, first she got a four in front of her favorables. Uh, the Washington Post poll had her at 48. So say she's at forty five favorable. Forty five is better than thirty five. I mean, it's like a NASCAR race. It doesn't matter what the cars look like when they finish. It's like which one is ahead of the other. And they can both be banged up and, you know, running on flat tires. But one's going to be ahead of the other. Um, And she is able to uh, lift this because this apparatus she has, we call a campaign that Donald Trump doesn't have. I mean, this guy has spent more on hats than he has on field. And it's just an absurdity. Um, Say what you will about the whole Clinton thing. They have put together, in my opinion, a superb campaign designed around a quarterback that has limits. And we've seen other successful models for that in sports and football. But they know, okay, we can't ask this person to throw 70 yards deep. Not going to happen. Can't ask this person to roll out of the pocket and improvise, you know, in press conferences. Nothing, the odds, if anything, good happening is not going to go. Keeper in the pocket.
0: We, we have just, a Super Bowl champion based on a quarterback we, who can't throw deep anymore yeah. or roll out of the pocket, we, right? You
1: know, I mean, just. And they do that very well. So you look at when they're going to this email stuff, how do they handle it? They're able to put cogent human beings on television and radio, and they can argue a case on her behalf. Look at Trump. You know, he puts, I mean, these people who, uh, I mean, for the most part, I mean, they they seemed uh, like, you know, if you were sitting next to him on a cross-country flight, you'd move. Um, you know they're sort of crazy. Um, I mean, you have somebody like Cory Landowski. who I mean, he's in his 40s. He's never worked on a winning statewide race in his life. I mean, it was a classic it was the other night on CNN. He's debating a woman who's an attorney who used to be counsel to the Congressional Black Caucus, and he's the guy that got busted for taking a gun into the Capitol. I mean, it's like.
0: You know, oh, okay, uh, so, so so going around,
1: Americans, you can find somebody else But And so she she's, she has 80 million dollars they just bought in ads. So this will support you, this will lift you up, this will help define you. Um, Donald Trump has Nigel Farage in Jackson, Mississippi, where I grew up. It's like, what are
0: so, you?
1: Are you first of all, there's not anybody in the state of Mississippi named Nigel. Are you insane? <laughs>
0: So, so Stuart, talk to me though. You know the next step on on the Republican Party, and I know. I mean, you went through. I know you went through the the 2012 autopsy report. You know of of the Republican Party, yeah. And and, and you know you, you've got you've got you know the party's got a real split. It seems to me, and, and immigration's at at the center of it. It feels like you'll tell me if you disagree. um There's a difference between you know because all the things you're pointing out. But Trump did win the nomination. He got he got the most primary votes. And and the you know, you're worried about the future of the Republican Party. So what what is your prescription? How did, can it come together? Well, you know, You've got I, a split I, on the elite. I, res- I have
1: no idea. First of all, I have no idea if the Republican Party can come together. Um I, I give Ryan Priebus a lot of credit for going through the so called autopsies. Things and some things in there I didn't agree with. Um But it clearly, you you can argue, I suppose, whether or not there's a moral, whether or not there's a moral case to be made that the Republican Party, to be a national governing party, to win the presidency, must represent more of the country than uh, uh, predominantly white voters. I I guess you can debate that. I don't really, I mean, I know where I stand. you, You can't, but you can't debate the politics of it. I mean, this election will probably be 2% less white than 2012. So even if you got the same numbers as Romney, say Romney got 27% of Hispanics, same numbers are not going to get you 27% of Hispanics. It's going to get you more like 25%, maybe 24%. You got to improve on those numbers just to stay still and uh, to stay where you are. Um, And that's not happening. So, you know, we talk a lot. There's a lot of misconceptions about 2012, and certainly what I think about the election today is very different than I did on election day, because, you know, there is a handful of very serious political scientists out there who've done a lot of work on it. And, you know, we all have a tendency to, before a presidential election, to analyze every blade of grass and then come to instant conclusions once we have an election, and then move on. I get that. It's very human. But if you actually spend time with the people who are analyzing the race, there are a lot of things that are... Proved to be, uh, all history is wrong, instant history is the most wrong, and it proved to have been an era of conclusions that were made about 2012. We, we talk a lot about how Republicans have a problem with women and they have a problem with younger voters. That's not really true. Romney won white women by 14 points. He won voters under 30 by 7 points if you were white. It's not about age and it's not about gender. It's about ethnicity. And it's just as clear as a bell. The Republican Party has to appeal to more non white voters. Now, you know, uh, in theory, could you win without those voters? Are there, you know, this, the, the country's still majority white? Could you? Yeah, you could. But it's like, in theory, could you, you know, take eight tires and swing them and throw a football through them at 50 yards? It's possible. Is it going to happen? Not likely. And what you see with Trump is he, he is headed in completely the wrong direction. So he gets up there and he rants about illegal voting in, in Pennsylvania. First of all, I mean, there was a Republican governor in 2012. So I, I guess he had to be in on this conspiracy. And his problem is not black voters in Philly. It's white voters in the suburbs, in the five-collar counties. I mean, I've done a lot of races in Pennsylvania. I did the last governor, Tom Ridge, got reelected there. It, 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 Romney won white uh, college-educated voters by 28 points in the suburbs. Trump, uh, I saw some Terry Madonna, the Pennsylvania polling expert, Trump's losing them by eight points. That's a, like a massive shift, almost 40 points. I can promise you on election night, you can take every vote that Hillary Clinton gets in Philadelphia and give those to Donald Trump. And he's still going to lose Pennsylvania. And it's just an absolute denial of how the party has to go. Um, I, I it just it's it's like we came to this prescription that this is what you should do. Like we've got a patient here. This is what you do, and we've done exact opposite, with disastrous results. And it's not some brilliant insight that this autopsy came to. It was just sort of a lot of cases math.
0: Um, and 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 just to, to kind of close out on the on the politics for a moment, um, and you know you you have worked on and do work on uh, you know races at at all levels. Um, ticket splitting. What what's your what's your view? Well, you know, there's
1: two there's two there's two cases to be made here. One is that Donald Trump is such you know an odd candidate that it, there will be more ticket splitting because people will be able to differentiate
0: him from the Republican Party. That could happen. What are you seeing? Um, what are you seeing in your numbers?
1: Well, that is happening now in the numbers. I mean, I, I don't see anything that everybody else doesn't see. I mean, you see the Senate candidates running right, way ahead of Donald Trump. Yep. My concern about this is that the, in my experience, um, you have that one third of voters that only vote in presidential years, They don't vote in off years. By definition, they get very engaged late, or they would vote in the off year, um, and they tend to be more ticket, straight ticket voters because they're not that interested in de- defining the differences between these candidates. So the last week or 10 days, they tend to get engaged. And I am very nervous about where that is headed. So like we did well carry in 1996 when Weld and carry were running for the Senate, in Massachusetts, right? We did great till Halloween. And then we started losing half a point a day. Hmm. You, I did Mel Martinez in 2004. the First Cuban American elected to the Senate in Florida. I was also doing Bush that year. So, You know, we ran an okay campaign for Mel. Mel was better than the campaign, to be honest. Um, And we were kind of like not winning close, but, you know, I didn't think we were going to win until the very end. And Bush caught an updraft, and Bush had a great organization in Florida, and Mel won. But he got less votes than George Bush. And only one county dayed did he overperform Bush? And that's because he's Cuban-American. Uh, everywhere else, he got dinged down. Um, you look at 2012, only one state, Nevada, or Republican Senate candidate in a real race, won in a state that Romney lost. And uh, they won by 0.03% in a three-way race. Uh, so, or 0.3% in a three-way race.
0: Yep.
1: So, um Everybody else did less well than Romney. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz got less votes in Texas, where he spent millions of dollars in campaign, than Mitt Romney, who didn't spend a dime and didn't campaign in Texas. So it's very hard to overperform the top of the ticket. There is this added factor here that you know Trump has all these nutty views, like on trade. I mean, he's the most left-wing candidate on trade out there. He's for a 45% tariff. So. You, the Senate candidates support trade um, in various forms and different degrees, but to the degree it is, you, that's difficult. Um, so now I think the Senate candidates are a lot better than the other candidates than the Democrats this year, for the most part, almost universally, um, but you look at 1980 when Reagan won, and a lot of Republican candidates who weren't that great did win. Paula Hawkins won in Florida. You know, She was a graduate of the Navy War College because she spent like a week there. Uh, and then they all lost six years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think caution is the way everyone is approaching it. I think the Republican Senatorial Committee is operating at the highest level that I've ever seen it operate. Um, you know, back in the day, it was more kind of an ATM. They just raised money. They gave it to, they really got a a sophisticated, very smart political operation there now.
0: And and to hear you describe it, I mean, uh, you know, obviously they don't have much room for error. I mean, they've, they've got to, uh.
1: No, and I don't, but I don't think they're laboring under any illusions. Uh, I think they're very sober about this. And I think all these candidates are very sober about it. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just think it's a very troubling time when you have a, a Republican presidential candidate. No Senate candidate will stand on stage with them. Yep. And yeah. the other thing, I, you know, what I think about all the time is I think about the last two weeks of the campaign. So say I'm you know, you're so you're an advanced person for the Clinton campaign and you're trying to build a rally. You call up Brooklyn, they go, okay, do you want the president, vice president? Do you want the first lady? Do you want Bernie Sanders? Do you want Bill Clinton? I mean, you can build, depending on where you're trying to build a rally, you can draw people with that crowd. You got students, a younger crowd, maybe you're up in Wisconsin, get Bernie Sanders. You want to go uh, drum up a uh, uh, hardcore base vote? Uh, get, uh, uh, I mean, first lady is brilliant on the stone. You're you're working for Trump. You're trying to build a rally. Who are you going to get? And we've got Rudy, who I've, I still have a lot of respect for. But, I mean, that underwear model that was at the, the convention. I mean, that's why Trump just gets the same kind of crowds. And it's, it's a really unfair playing – not unfair, but unbalanced playing field there. It's just a lot easier to, to, to do what the Democrats are going to be trying to do the last two weeks.
0: I I want to talk to you as well about um, an important issue. I I view it as a bipartisan issue that um, essentially anyone in this country, I don't care what party you're in, can agree on. There's a great new book out there, Stuart, Um, uh, The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear. (laughs) How's that? How's that for a segue? Do you like that? Uh,
1: I, 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 you'll get a note from my mom.
0: Okay, good, so, good, good. Well, you know, I got the note ahead of time. That's why, you know, that's why I did it. It's, uh, <laughs> Don't wait, talk so. talk about that. That
1: would be entirely possible.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, 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 uh, what, what brought you, what brought, so it's, it's a novel, and we'll talk in a, you know, we can talk in a moment about the fact that, Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, quite a bit of fortune telling and you can clearly see into the future and, you know, I'm going to make all of my, uh, horse racing bets. I'm going to call you first because, uh, you know, you're the, the narrative and the storyline,
1: you know, I wanted to write, I wanted to write a dark comic novel, um, about, uh, politics and about what I saw happening in our, in our political world. So, you know, I started this actually before the Romney campaign, um, and then put it aside to write this book uh, the last season
0: about my dad and growing up
1: in the south yeah, and came Mississippi.
0: Back to yeah that was yeah, that, that was wonderful and, uh, book super
1: no thanks, thanks it was a great pleasure to write it um, but uh, you know i finished this book uh Innocent of nothing fear long before the trump campaign but the sort of tectonic plates of our politics that you could see with trump there was always this element And the book, I have a character, Armstrong George, who's a governor of Colorado from the uh, flat part of Colorado, uh, who emerges as a strong man figure, who's very anti-immigration, wants to rewrite the Bill of Rights. Um, And the title comes from whatever he's asked, like, are you going too far? He always says with kind of a wry smile, like, well, the innocent have nothing to fear. Um, And he's running against uh, a more traditional Republican uh... female vice president um, and uh, the incumbent republican president uh... is not running for re-election because there's been a uh... tremendous economic crash that basically you know, destroyed uh... his, his viability yep. um, now i thought that it was important to f- posit this emergence of this strongman character after a uh... economic crash um, For credibility, as sort of a triggering mechanism. Otherwise, I was worried people would read it and go, "Well, this would never happen." Now, as it turns out, I was wrong because uh, you know we had a great economic crash. We had it. We we haven't had a new one, Um, and Trump emerged. Yeah. Um, And it's all set during four days during a broker convention in New Orleans. I love uh, ticking clocks and. You know when you're writing it's great to have like five days to work with um and i love new orleans i kind of have grew up there and i think all conventions democrat and republicans should only be held in new orleans it should be like <laughs> the olympics you know should only have them in one spot
0: yeah
1: um and uh that's that's really sort of the the basis of it if i had known it was going to happen i would have been more careful
0: yeah, uh, well. or you might not have titled it uh, a novel but you so, so that's that's was one of my main questions on this and it's fascinating to me so you you did kind of feel those you 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 phrased it tectonic plates you you kind of felt that in the underbelly oh, you could see it you could see no, it we
1: dealt with this a lot in the Romney campaign i mean um it was there and you know my conclusion about these 16 candidates who ran against Trump, or 17, however many there was, um, is not that Trump was great, but that they really underestimated how difficult it was to get elected president, and that they weren't that good, because they lost to Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump's a very easy candidate to beat. Um, And, you know, Romney did a a, a very impressive political thing that I I think was underappreciated at the time, might be more appreciated now in retrospect. You know, without a normal ideological base or geographic base, he won a, a primary, um, and that's difficult to do, um, and I think it speaks to the quality of his his skills, and it's you could always see this. I mean, I did the Thag Cochran-Chris McDaniel primary in Mississippi, which was probably the most vicious, weird, strange... Uh, tough primary of all of them in 2014, and uh, nobody thought Cochran could win, particularly when we got into a runoff. Uh, you could see that element, but Thad was able to win. Um, mainly, all, I mean, all credit should be due Thad. He just, you know, at 73 or something, he just outworked the other guy and was a better candidate. Um, but absent that, uh, the other side would have won. Um, so you could always see this. But the greatest, uh, I think, destructive element of Trump has been the normalization of uh, un- language and subjects, which we as a society have agreed to, uh are not for civil discussion. And under the guise of not being PC, he has been selling hate. When you go out and you call Mexicans rapists, you're selling hate. When you talk about a Muslim band, you're selling hate. A Muslim band is really – it's a religious test because how do you know if someone is Muslim if you don't know what they are? I mean, example, I always use uses – say Cat Stevens, you know, a singer who's Muslim, yeah. shows up at Heathrow and says, well, you know, guys, I'm not Muslim now. I'm a Quaker. What are you going to do? Are you going to ask him, like, t- trivia questions about William Penn? I mean, I don't understand Quakers. I mean, I, you know, God love them. I have all these Quaker friends. But I mean, so we're really going to do this? We're really the I mean, country that was founded on religious freedom. Really going to go to religious test? And so, if we go to that, then it would only be reasonable to assume that other countries would, like, Mexico, for instance. There's not many Mexican Muslims. There are a lot of American Muslims. So should Mexico go to religious test? So that would mean that, as Americans, we'd have to go and register at some religious registry and record our religious history. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, this was tried, you know. I mean, in in Germany, it d- didn't seem to work well. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot um, of this
0: is surely, you know, conversations that uh, many of us thought would we we you know were done. We were done with. We we you know. You don't have you have you have, you you have Breitbart running a Republican presidential campaign.
1: Yep. I mean. That's a publication that's just based on selling hate. End of story. And this whole this, today, Hillary Clinton's talking about alt right. I, I, you know, it, it drives me crazy when they talk about alt right because it's just a rebranding of racism. And it's like they focus groups and they go, "Well, they won't like us if we call ourselves racist, so we have to come up with a new name. Let's call it the alt right." No, they're racist. And it's nothing new or interesting or novel. It's as old as, you know, human civilization. But we should not be embracing this. We should not be normalizing it. We should not be pretending it's something else. It's
0: not. Are there any innocence left in politics?
1: Well, listen. I think that there are a lot of good people in politics, and a lot of good people running.
0: I, I know good people. I know good people, but but innocence, in you know, and and uh, you know pu- pu- purity, if you will, you know, pure, you, you, you know. Yeah, I, I know they absolutely are good people. I mean, they're fantastic people, and thank goodness for them. Um, but I guess the fear Look, is I, that listen, that I, innocent, you know, it's kind of you know innocence, you know, you forget about Paradise Lost um right. you know I, I fear that there's a little bit of uh um innocence lost innocence and, and if the innocence... i
1: i think the worst thing you know what, what Donald Trump does is is uh he's the anti-reagan the anti-jfk uh the anti-george bush when you know you look at the speech that george bush gave after 9/11 to congress uh it's an extraordinary m- moment because he was hopeful and he was determined that we would not uh, turn against other people who shared our values, regardless of their religion. And it made us feel better and bigger. Trump plays to the side, the little bit inside of everybody, and we all have it, that feels slighted, that feels cheated. He's a grievance monger. Mm-hmm. And he's out working that. I mean, I've been to a lot of Trump rallies. And People come out of those rallies, they tend to be uh, more angry than hopeful. And it's deliberate. I mean, that's what he's selling. It's, it's, that's the emotion he is attempting to get. Um, and I think that's very dangerous. Look, in the 30s, America didn't turn to a totalitarian uh, leader uh, when many countries did. Uh, and I don't think it's by accident. I think it's because we had leaders who directed us in a different direction. I think had we had leaders that took us in that direction, there was an element in America that was anti-Semitic, a huge element, a huge element that didn't want to get involved at, at all in World War II, a huge, even after attack by the Japanese with Germany, a huge element that um, felt, uh, well, Hitler wasn't perfect, but there's something to be said, as there was in England with Mosley uh, and the fascist. But we had leaders that took us in a different direction. And this, this thing is fragile, this democracy thing. and we, we should not forget that. And when Trump goes out and starts talking about you know elections being rigged, uh, he, he should be uh, absolutely ashamed of himself. He should be shunned, not embraced. Huh. Elections aren't rigged. And. That's just I've never understood this. So when he talks about elections being rigged, so the Republican Senate candidates that do win when he loses does that mean that they they're on the same ballot as he is does that mean they were in on the rigging it's like how do you rig the top without rigging the bottom you know right under the top it's just it's incredibly irresponsible
0: are you scared at all
1: I, listen i worry about the country i think donald trump is a is a, a dark figure that has emerged in the country um unlike any we've seen. It's as if the, the Democrats nominated George Wallace. But Wallace really had more respect for governing, I will say. And if you go back and you look at Wallace's policy, he actually had a lot more policy than Trump has. Um, that's a troubling sign. And it it speaks to uh, an anxiety that is out there in the country that is very real. And I think one of the realities of the last, you know, of the Obama administration is that normally for better or worse, and it's both, but the center left has been much better speaking to those who've been left behind than center right. They're just better at it. Um, I don't think that they're more have a moral standing to, but it is part of their vocabulary is better in the same way the center right traditionally has been better on foreign policy. And the last, I think, seven years in the Obama administration, there has been sort of a conspiracy of silence not acknowledging that there were many, many people who were not participating in this slow recovery. And I think in part, to a large degree, it's because they didn't want to undermine, those on the center-left didn't want to undermine the president and didn't want to help Republicans. And as a result, I think that there's been a lack of public discussion about how many people were still hurting in the country. And I think like anything, when you bottle that up and you don't discuss it, um, you know, we don't have a John Steinbeck now. We don't have a Studs Terkel. We have John Stewart, who's, you know, a smart millionaire guy from New Jersey who's really a social critic. He doesn't really speak to those who are left behind. Um, and I, I think that there there is a sense that uh, we have not addressed that enough. Um, but to take it in the direction that Trump has taken in, I think, is is, is dangerous. Um And now, look, Trump's going to lose, and I just hope that we don't – we're we're very honest with ourselves about what happened and how to move forward. I mean, that's certainly a burden the Republican Party has, and I I have no idea how that will turn out. I don't know if parties are learning organisms. If they were, it's hard to say why we're ignoring all the lessons of 2012.
0: It sounds like you might have book number eight and it might not be fiction. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, you've got I I know, uh, you know, there's a lot uh, a lot to be concerned about. But I imagine as well that, um, you know, there's there's a trifecta here where things don't get too much better uh, in the world of of Stuart Stevens. You've you've got, you know, for better or worse, you've got a presidential race going on. Uh, You've got a book out. And you don't need me to tell you, but Ole Miss football is about to kick off, and uh, the SEC is going to be one tough conference. So, uh, you know, I don't know where your focus every is going to be. Life
1: I, begins. Life begins with every new season. I, yeah. And you know, in the long term, I'm I'm very very optimistic about the country. I mean, that's one of the things about Trump. He's very negative about the country. I'm fearful. You can't go outside without getting shot. You know, I, I, America is a huge big. Uh, chaotic, loud country. I mean, what what is this study Forbes that 51% of uh, the billion-dollar startups are started by immigrants? I mean, we are a country of immigrants. And that's not going to change because of Donald Trump. And we're still going to continue to embrace that. It's what makes America uniquely powerful and strong. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I just don't think there's any uh, stopping that. Um, but we need to be, I think, careful about how we talk about, uh, public speech in the sense of, uh, speaking to this, uh, for political gain to use hate the way Donald Trump is, I I think is shameful.
0: Stuart, thank you. Thank you as always for making the time. I always enjoy it.
1: Listen, uh, great to chat. Look forward to doing it again.
0: Okay, me too. So that was my conversation with Stuart Stevens. Like I said, this guy cares. He's worried, but he wants to fight the fight. And I love someone who cares like that. He's terrific to talk with always. And my thanks to Stuart for joining and to you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.